Everybody who's adventure related loves independent brands, but building an independent brand is not easy. There is a reason why the outdoor industry is dominated by brands like Patagonia and North Face and its corporate owner, um, VF Corp. It takes a lot of money and a lot of people to build something up from scratch, but it can be done and it can be done well. Today, we are going to talk to Cassie Abel, the founder of Wild Rye, an amazing women's outdoor apparel brand that seems to have gone from nowhere to absolutely crushing it. But of course, the journey is never that fast or the never that easy. I'm Stephen Casimiro. I am your host. Thank you so much for joining the Adventure Journal podcast. With me is my unindicted co-conspirator, Justin Hausman. Hey, everybody. How you doing? How's it going, Justin? Pretty good. It just occurred to me we probably should have tried to tried to do this. Well, I guess Cassie would have been too busy, but uh, on Women Led Wednesday, uh, which was <laughs> what like a week ago. But I'm just looking at my notes, and thinking, oh, that would have been good. But. It would have been good to do it before, but that wouldn't be us if we were dialed <laughs> and did it before. So, and she was busy, I'm sure. And um, we are recording this in the end of November 2023, and the last week or so has actually. I think would seem like a dynamite one for Wild Rye. So um, I'm not going to do any sort of big introduction. I'm just going to jump in. We are talking to Cassie Abel. She is the founder of Wild Rye, and she's going to tell us all about Wild Rye. Cassie, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's so good to be here. Um, I'm so excited to have you. I've known Cassie for at least a decade, maybe longer. And um, man, I know how hard it is to run a small business. So from, from the outside, it, it looks easy, but I know it's, it seems like a fast seven or so years that Wild Rye has just become a really big presence and um, a, a, I think an important voice. Cassie's voice is really important in the outdoor space, advocating for women. And, um, but, you know, it's probably been the longest seven years of your life. So let's just jump in by, you know, give us a bit of your backstory and, and tell us how Wild Rye came about and we'll, we'll just go from there. Awesome. Um, so I guess I'll just start from the very beginning, which is I grew up in a sort of rural island outside of Seattle, spent a lot of time playing outside, um, a lot of time down at the creek. Um, I also played every team sport under the sun my whole childhood, played lacrosse through college. Um, when I graduated from college, I went straight into investment banking. Um, and that was... Um, yeah, very quickly realized that wasn't for me. Um, but I did learn a lot during that time. I went from there, completely swung the pendulum the other direction and coached lacrosse at Berkeley. Um, and then found my home in a marketing agency in San Francisco where I worked on the visa account, um, specifically within their food and wine division. Um, during that time, I spent every weekend driving to Tahoe to get to the mountains. I spent some weekends I spent 13 hours trying to get to Tahoe on a Friday afternoon, sleeping on the side of the highway because some bozo and a Mazda Miata tried to get over Donner Pass in the middle of a snowstorm, um, shutting down the freeway. So um, I, yes, found that I was spending my whole life in a car trying to get to the mountains to be who I'm supposed to be. So um, that is the longer version of how I ended up back in Sun Valley at Smith Optics, um, where I was a global communications person, which is how I first met Steve. Um, we worked with AJ for a long time, both um, on the print side and the digital side. And then, yeah, and then Smith, a few years into my time at Smith, um, announced that they were going to relocate to Portland, Oregon. And I was um, handed one of the toughest decisions of my life, deciding between my my dream home where I wanted to be, the lifestyle I wanted, um, you know, half a mile from the base of the mountain to ski, a couple blocks from the mountain bike trail access system, um, or my dream job. I'd always dreamed of working at Smith, like since I was a child. So um, ultimately my lifestyle went out and I stayed in Sun Valley. Um, but that brings me to Wild Rye. <laughs> um, during my time at Smith, I attended every single trade show out there across categories of outdoor sport. And um, 
you know, no, no surprise. This was back in like 2011, 12. Um, there weren't that many women walking the trade show halls. There definitely wasn't much innovation on the women's side um, when it came to product. And there are a few industries where this was a really stark reality. Um, Interbike was definitely the most drastic view of that. Um, Interbike was in Vegas at the time. They still had scantily clad booth girls trying to usher more men of the bike industry into brand booths. Um, it felt like there were more booth girls than there were actually women working in the industry. And um, frankly, the product matched the attention given to women. It matched the number of women in the industry. And um, so, yeah, when Smith left the valley i was reconnected with my now former business partner and she had been working at specialized bicycle components and me at smith and we were just struggling with the same thing uh there just wasn't great product there weren't wasn't great storytelling um the outdoor industry specifically snow and bike felt really masculine really intimidating um and just wasn't a very welcoming place for for women so um yeah Wild ride. You you live in probably one of the best places in the world to ride mountain bikes. Um, so one of the things I'm curious about is given your multi-sport background um, and given that as far as I can tell, you're pretty smart. Why in the world did you decide to start an apparel company like that is a big undertaking, right? Like, uh, you know, how like how did you make that leap from it's this idea to we want to do it and we want to do it as, as a bike company. So walk us through that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were really naive. We didn't know what we were getting into. Uh, and I have to give a lot of credit to Katie, my now former business partner. She had a much more fully baked plan and was moving full speed ahead on this. Um, an old industry friend connected us and basically said, you two are talking about the same frustrations. You want to give women better options. You guys should chat. I'm sure there's something there. Um, you have this great background in marketing, Cassie, and Katie's not really comfortable in the marketing space. So here you go. Have at it. So we started talking. I can't remember the exact details, but we spoke a few times um, on the phone, I guess. It was before Zoom was really a thing. I don't remember video chatting too much. Um, and it turned out we actually had known each other from my Bay Area days. Um, not well, but we attended a wedding in Bermuda and we attended a wedding in Tahoe that we were both at um, without really knowing each other at the time. Um, but we finally met up for in person at the Nordstrom's Cafe at Outdoor Retailer in 2015. And I proposed to Katie that she let me be her um, her partner in this. I just completely fell in love with her idea, her take on it, her approach to how to better serve women. Um, and so, yeah, August 2015, we started moving forward together. Um, Katie had definitely put in a few months of work um, leading up to that point, but and was her um, idea to do a bike, a women's bike apparel company? Was it to do a general women's apparel company? I mean, how how did that idea yeah. evolve from that initial meeting to what Rye, Wild Rye is today? It was her idea to have a European style outdoor brand where it was bike focused in the summer and snow or ski focused in the winter. Um, you know, we at the time, both of us were skiers more than bikers, but we saw giant holes in the bike industry. And, you know, you look at North Face and Arcteryx and some of the bigger technical brands in our space and they're climbing in the summer side of things with snow on the winter. And that's really where those brands started was in the sports of climbing, Patagonia too. Um, so we really wanted to build our roots in the cycling industry, um, but equally in the snow industry. Um, yeah, so that is sort of the early days. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I was just gonna ask you because why had so few brands gone into bike? Because bike is huge. Is it because do you think their founders were rooted in climbing or is it is there something about bike that is uh, more challenging to pull off? Um, you know, again, this was a it, this wasn't a data driven decision on our part. <laughs> yeah, she, remember, she was naive. You know, we naivete. were totally naive. Team naivete. <laughs> yeah. I like biking more than I like climbing. So That's there was a little bit of that. But um, yeah, I mean, just the inner bike scene was gross. It was so masculine. It was so 
Um, I shouldn't say gross. I'm being a little bit dramatic, but it was, it wasn't an approachable place for a woman to come into, um, even as a founder. Uh, so maybe that had something to do with it, but I think um, gross is, I think gross is a fair assessment. I, mean, <laughs> I haven't been to Interbike in a couple of years, but like the booth girls, I mean, it's yeah. just so cringy. Amazing to think that it happened at all. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Being, yeah. A woman in the industry walking through the halls and having these girls in bikinis trying to usher you into a booth. You're just like, I'm I'm curious how much of your, uh, sort of frustration with, um, the, the, well, was your, was your frustration more like rooted in not being able to get the products that you wanted? Uh, Mm -hmm. or was it more just not seeing the representation that you wanted to see, uh, in the, in the industry? Both equally. Um, yeah. Katie and I talked a lot about, obviously product suffered, and I have photos of me wearing product that was either sent to me or that I purchased during my Smith days that, um, I mean, I'm a tall, very athletic human being. I'm not the skinniest person out there, but I could barely squeeze into extra large size bike shorts because the bike industry was so tailored towards that extra, extra, extra small um, female consumer. Um, so product was a really big issue. Uh, a lot. I mean, I even recently, as of a couple of months ago, I spoke to the former leader of a major bike brand that has an apparel arm, and they told me that only 15% of their apparel SKUs are women's SKUs. So this is still an, still an issue by major bike brands. Um, they're still not producing product that's for women first and foremost. And women really do need stretchier fabrics because we're, you know, we have much broader shapes and curves and sizes. Um, and so we were forced into product that had no stretch that was built for a man and then, you know, adapted and, you know, beyond just shrinking and pinking, obviously everyone knows that Mm -hmm. term these days, but, um, the material selection wasn't considered materials need to be different for men's and women's products. Um, how so stretch, I think stretch is a hugely important person having stretch in the important part having stretch in the right places for a woman's bodies to accommodate, you know, oftentimes smaller waists and bigger hips and behinds. Um, you know, women have get, uh, yeah, like the bulk of the quads when you're exercising more, especially in skiing and biking. But, um, yeah, but so anyways, back to your original question, um, the narrative and the way brands were speaking to women was really alienating as well. It was um, solely focused on winning and being the best. I mean, I've I've been pulling out old ads of bike brands over the last couple of months. And, you know, there are things like, you know, no shortcuts and, you know, these mm-hmm. really bold statements about, you know, the right way to be on a bike and it's winning and it's fast and it's serious and... Um, we just didn't feel like that resonated with us as consumers. It didn't resonate with our friends as consumers. Um, and then you take it a step further and very infrequently did you see women featured in any of these ads. I mean, as, um, an employee that looked at a lot of ads at many different brands, um, Smith was actually on one of the better brands about featuring females in our advertising, but it was still maybe one in six at the time um ads were focused on women compared to our male athletes so that's brutal yeah given that uh women make up what 50.8 percent of the the population something like that yeah something like that yeah Yeah, that's excruciating and 46 percent of outdoor participants yeah i was just i was just gonna say i mean like where i live i mean i don't know I, I'm not like doing surveys, but I feel like I see just as many women on trails as I do as I do men. Um, yeah. yeah, easily around here too in Southern mm-hmm. California. Mm-hmm. So, who'd have, who'd have thought women like to get outside too? I, mean, <laughs> I know, just, it's weird. That's that's bonkers. So well, this is how much of this did you have to learn on the fly, like about the fabrics and you know your your patterns and all of that. I mean, I'm, were you able to bring in people who had a lot of experience so you could, you know, flatten the learning curve or what was that like in your first couple of years? I know you had some real, um, 
brutal speed bumps that you <laughs> hit. Yeah. So Katie and I had zero apparel experience. I mean, we're not designers. We aren't developers. We hadn't worked with factories. So we were 100% learning on the fly. Uh, we did bring in a designer early on um, who we found on Craigslist of all places. Wow, amazing. I think Katie put out a Craigslist ad in the Tahoe Craigslist. And she was based in Tahoe. I was based in Sun Valley. And it's Kelsey, who we found on Craigslist, is still our designer today. So uh, <laughs> she the, she's also the only cat owner, I think. In your is she the cat owner in your team? You know, we have two cat owners. One, the other is our our resident cat daddy, <laughs> our data analyst Colin. So he's also our only full time male employee. Um, so, but yes, is it a requirement to have dogs with cool names? Because on your about page, like every person, aside from these two outliers that you clearly made exceptions for has dogs <laughs> they don't work um, in the office <laughs> multiple <laughs> multiple dogs all with very very cool names so i'm just like is, is that even legal to require that to work with you <laughs> mm, i don't know if there are any technical laws about that but certainly uh we attract dog lovers <laughs> um yeah so what, i can't remember what we were talking so, about well, yeah so to, i you think i was on. about to dive into all the trials and I'm tribulations. sorry, we keep yes. interrupting. I told yeah. you we were going to have a normal conversation, which means... That is interrupting. You know, is there a term for man-interrupting that's like the equivalent of mansplaining? Because <laughs> yeah. that's what we keep doing. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry, no, Cassie. no. I'm always happy to be interrupted to talk about dogs, for sure. So. Um, but I was about to pull back the curtain on all the gnarly stuff that happened oh. in the early days. So Go for it. Um, so, yeah. So, Katie and I are anxiously awaiting our final like bulk production... Um, line to be delivered for our launch, our big, big launch of the entire brand. It was already four months late. And finally, this product arrives. We have four products in that first um, first production uh, run, a baggy short, a chamois short, and two merino tops. I believe it was a long sleeve and a short sleeve or maybe a three quarters length and a short sleeve. Um, two of those four products came in completely flawed. <laughs> um, every single unit in this production line of chamois had the silicon leg band sewn on inside out. So the silicon was on the exterior of the short rather than on the interior to hold your chamois in place. Um, we had to find seamstresses to unsew and resew on every single leg band before we could launch the brand. Um, I don't remember how much that cost, but it was easily $10,000, $20,000. Wow. Keep in mind, we hadn't made a dime yet. We were completely self-funded. We weren't VC-backed. We didn't have angel investors. We were pinching pennies, um, putting our personal savings into uh, bringing this brand to life. So that was a hugely devastating blow. Um, the other... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does that like, happen because they... like? I mean, well, one, I, I would think the factory would have to take responsibility there. But does that happen because, you know, you didn't realize, like, oh, we have to be, like, super specific about telling them where these things get sewed on? Or do they just screw that up? Um, in this case, it seems like they screwed it up. Um, <sighs> and you just and they took zero responsibility for it. Yeah. Because, keep in mind, we're a tiny brand. We're already begging factories to work with us. We don't have um, quantity of units we're not ordering massive quantities of units so these factories have no incentive to work with us other than you know us telling them our story and how big we want to be and you know what we're trying to accomplish and and from a financial perspective they don't give a shit yeah. um about us you can say until it. we're adults yeah, okay <laughs> well and you probably i mean I, yeah i mean i remember when when we were trying to figure out our printer for the first time and we had we ended up having a disasters with our initial printer absolute disasters and they would not take responsibility but you know despite having been in publishing for my whole career i had no idea how to pick a printer or, or how to find a good printer i mean do i go on yelp you know is there a yelp for chinese factories or <laughs> yeah. i mean you know how, like it it's 
you know, you make that commitment and it, it must have been really scary. And then you get, you know, I'm sure you went through the sampling process and the samples were probably okay, right? Because you sign off on it and then you get your mm-hmm. order and you're so excited to get this order and then you open it up. I mean, that must have just been such a disheartening moment when you... Oh, yeah. But but then you worked through it, right? So tell it, like, how was how did that go? Like, how long, how much did it delay to able to deliver a product to, to your customers? Um, so that was one of the product issues. The other product was a, a waistband on every single one of our baggy shorts was so not, was like an inch out of spec. So, um, they were an inch bigger flat than they were supposed to, which, which meant that our medium was fitting like a large or a large was fitting like an extra large. So that we couldn't fix, but we needed to figure out how to message that, mm-hmm. um, with the leg band issue, I believe that production landed in July and we were still able to launch in August, but this is four months, maybe five months past our initial plan launch date, which was I think April. Um, so yeah, we launched in, I believe it was August 9th, 2016. I wonder, do you think you had some runway with, I, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer. I mean, I'm wearing a filson shirt which is not like a small company but you know i i i absolutely go out of my way to support small businesses and businesses that i believe in um and i you know i i'm a bit more you know if i ordered something from like nike and it was wrong i'd be mad and never order something again but if it was you know like a smaller brand just starting out i feel like there's a a bit more understanding and, I, and i'm like stoked for you to succeed so i'll, I'll put up mm-hmm. with some sort of challenges i mean do you think you had some runway there like with your with your messaging that people are probably so excited that you were there and all they're like you know what? we can wait a few months we get it that's fine yeah i mean luckily we hadn't launched before the leg band issue was discovered so we just delayed our launch um on the waistband issue you know we couldn't do anything to fix it so we just told people that if they wanted to order a size medium, they should order a size small for it to fit like a medium. Um, but yeah, I think we definitely got more runway. Um, it depends on the, the consumer though. It depends on how educated they are on, you know, I think those of us who are in the outdoor space or in the apparel space or talk about product and gear, understand a little bit more about the nuances of it. I think the general consumer maybe doesn't yeah. always they, have as much tolerance. Um, they want their shorts and they want them cheaper. Yeah. So yeah. what were your, what were your design cues? What were you trying to do that was different? Um, you know, what's your, what was your point of differentiation from, from other brands? Um, and, and then, you know, how did you, because your background's in marketing, how did you communicate that to you, this new growing customer base that you were building? We wanted to nail fit, which <laughs> didn't quite do in the first round. They actually fit really well if you order the right size, given the revised messaging. <laughs> um, so we wanted to nail fit for a woman's bodies, fit as many women as we possibly could with a silhouette, which meant um, gussets and paneling to fit curves. Um, we wanted to create highly durable and technical product. We didn't want to create dumbed down product, which we oftentimes saw in the outdoor space where, you know, sort of there's the pinnacle product, but it's only available in men's sizes and men's fit. And then there's like the next tier, you start getting like a colorway available for women. Um, so we wanted our pinnacle product, um, to be highly durable, perform really well, but then we also wanted to wanted it to have a little bit more of a contemporary look. Um, you know, the outdoor industry is notorious for using the same colors for women, the same paisley or like dated looking floral prints. And don't get me wrong, I love a good floral. We love florals at Wild Rye. Um, but something that just felt a little bit hipper and cooler than the average outdoor industry print and um, color scheme. So those were our three p- pillars, beautiful, technical, and well-fitting. <laughs> I mean, men want that too. I'm a, I, I, I get so annoyed at uh, most of the color options in, in technical stuff. I mean, I, I'm, I'm usually attracted to the, I, the women's colors more than I am the men's colors and uh, get frustrated that I can't order it in, in my size. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to see. Well, we just do go have to some OR. men wearing our shorts, just saying. Yeah. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. I was going to say, just go to OR and count the number of uh, button-up plaid right. short sleeve shirts mm-hmm. that you yeah. see. So yeah. mm-hmm. no, no, no shade on those shirts, but well, maybe some shade. 
Um, <laughs> we don't, yeah, there's not, there's not a lot of white space in that category. <laughs> no, but I mean, this raises an interesting question about this. There's always been this perceived tension between what's sort of distilled down to function versus fashion, right? Mm -hmm. And historically with outdoor apparel, like fashion is a, just, it's a horrible word because it's dear Lord, it's perceived as being less core somehow mm -hmm. as if somebody mm -hmm. doesn't want to still look good when they're climbing a peak or hiking or going for a trail run. You know I mean? We, yeah. we have to set aside our dignity when we go outdoors and play. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So and one of the yeah. things that, um, this, this wall street journal story from last week, the headline, um, was the, uh, the Gorp Core Backlash, Why True Adventurers Are Skiing in Jeans and Hiking in Rompers. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and there's this quote from, from the, the founder, from Elliot Wilker, Wilkinson Ray, who founded um, one of the brands they featured, aside from Wild Rye, which, Ripton, Big fan. who said, um, mm -hmm. there's a real demand to rebel against the recent intensity um, so I'm wondering if you could address that and how that informs with what you do with Wild Rye. Because you've been in this industry for a long time. You've seen yeah. that intensity. You referenced it with the ads. It's, you know, it, it becomes kind of ridiculous when you look at it. But then um, because most people aren't doing that. So tell us about like how like how did Wild Rye, Wild Rye come to be in the story? Do you think the story is valid? Like, Is there this backlash against Gorb Core? What do people really want from their apparel that they play in? I, I think there's definitely a backlash, especially in the younger generations. Um, you know, people don't want to look like they're going to climb a mountain, even if they are going to climb a mountain or, you know, look, you know, the overly logoed bike shorts are just, I mean, that was something we rebelled against in the, back in 2015, 16, when we launched was just, you know, you're historically given the options of like Fox and Troy Lee and super moto looking brands with yeah. giant logos. And, um, my generation and definitely generations younger than us don't want to be wearing a giant brand logo. Um, they don't want to be a walking billboard. Um, and also it, it, I think the overly logoed look makes the wearer feel like there's certain expectations of how they're then going to perform. And yep. some of us just want to go out for a bike ride with our friends and like, look good, feel good, eat some snacks, take a couple selfies, get some exercise, catch up on the town gossip. Um, we're not looking to win a race or summit a, you know, a first ascent or anything like that. And so having the, the wardrobe or the uniform to match, um, the way we're recreating, I think, has become increasingly more and more important. That, that that's such a good point. I mean, I I find that I, I don't do it often, but um, I don't I don't even own a road bike, but I do have some like full bibs. Um, mm -hmm. And in the summer when it's super hot, I might do like a gravel ride, and I'll just wear that with like a like a some sort of synthetic top over it, and I feel like that's the only time I'm really ever wearing spandex that's like visible, mm -hmm. and I feel like yeah. I have to pass everybody. You like, mm -hmm. it's something about now. I feel like I'm in a race. But mm -hmm. the rest of the time, I'm, I'm a big Ripton fan. I, I, I ride in almost nothing but jorts. And, uh, yeah. It's just so you're, a whole you're wearing, different... You're, you've started wearing shirts when you ride now. You're not... Yes, you're not I have, I've now. also classically enjoy riding <laughs> without a shirt. Um, but it's, it, the, it's like even, the, even the, like the, the reactions that you'll get, not that it's that wild, but um, from other people on the trail. I, I yeah. find it's a much more like, hey, what's going on vibe if you're if you're just wearing like a long sleeve cotton shirt and like jorts or a long sleeve wool shirt and jorts versus mm -hmm. a full like spandex kit. Like the whole mindset's different. Um, interesting. Yeah. Totally. Interestingly, though, like when I put on a pair of bibs, actually, I don't know if I have any bibs anymore, but um, I mean, they're just they're so purpose built. Right. And I don't necessarily feel like I'm going to go faster or I want to go faster, but I do feel like I'm wearing just what I need to be wearing to go well, for yeah. a long ride. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I wear baggies, I don't necessarily, I feel better when I'm getting off the bike, but I don't necessarily feel like I'm better on the bike mm -hmm. in terms of enjoyability. So, you know, it's funny to consider these psychological factors like, and not, you know, even those of those of us who are older didn't necessarily want to wear a big Fox logo, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's, I, associations with brands that you don't necessarily want to be a part of and it's yeah. no, mm -hmm. nothing to do with Fox, but like, yeah, when totally. there's a big logo, you by nature are representing, even if you don't want to. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I think, I think the choice is the most important thing. I mean, we certainly make spandex because they are purpose built for being on the bike. We have bib shorts. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of women will wear those underneath their baggy shorts because it kind of holds you in, in all the right places. And we have a, you know, really nice Italian sourced, um, women specific chamois pad for your undercarriage. And, you know, no question, like those are certainly very important pieces in your bike collection. Um, but the element of choice and the element of not being forced into being a walking billboard or forced into the, you know, spandex being your only option, I think is where that article was going is, is, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the product that w- was featured by Wild Rye in that Wall Street Journal article was a pair of um, technical overalls, which I absolutely love, but I don't necessarily like to wear them on my bike. Um, I'm a little bit more old, old school and I still wear bike shorts on my bike, um, but they're a cleaner look and they're not as in your face um, as some of those logoed options and they fit. It's funny for so long people were buying um, you know, North Face Fleece and Patagonia things because they wanted to look like they were outdoors. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're sort of getting this flip to the opposite. I don't know that it's fully going away. Um, I think just adding more options for those of us that do want to get after it, if you will. So how many SKUs does Wild Rye have now? Um, you started with four. I think we're somewhere between 40, 40 around 40 plus accessories. Maybe. Wow. Wow. That's do you a have lot. a limit? Like when you're envisioning like down the road, do you say, well, we don't want to do more than a hundred or more than 50. Like how, how do you keep from just like mushrooming into like endless skews? Yeah. As our, uh, our new fractional CFO just said, skews kill. <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> so, um, I think that more comes down to like tiny details, but, um, I mean, our goal is to be the women's outdoor brand of choice across categories of outdoor sport. So that will mean more SKUs and um, growth into new categories. Um, But again, we want to be really thoughtful. We're certainly sunsetting styles as we're adding new styles and keeping things fresh and evolving our existing silhouettes and styles. Um, We also do a lot of work with color and print to keep it fresh rather than trying to out tech everything, which became a thing in the outdoor industry. Um, I mean, you guys know walking through outdoor retailer, every booth you walked into had some new technology that you're like, does, what does this really do? Do I really need this? Like, (laughs) let's just out tech each other to get the media attention and no one actually needs this, but it's a story to tell. And we just, I don't know, we've got great technology and we don't need to be one upping ourselves and everyone else every year. Yeah. That that's a tricky one because Boy, it makes me so sad when I have a product that I just love and then you can't get any get it anymore mm-hmm. because they have to come up with something new or your favorite color is gone. Um, it's just it's such a bummer. And I, I guess I mean I get it because it's competition. You're competing in the marketplace and human nature wants new things and fresh things. But at the same time, man, when you nail a product, I just I think you should try to have it mm-hmm. as long as you can possibly have it. Yeah, our our frail bike shorts been in the line since 2017, with um, very minimal changes. I think we've changed the shape of the the hem, um, sort of divot on the side of the short, just to contemporize it a little bit. But otherwise, the fit and the fabric and just about everything else, other than evolving colorways and keeping things fresh that way. Right. Still our That's cool. hero product. <laughs> yes. Amen for Hero Products. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Cassie's initiative around Women-Led Wednesday and what that's all about. We'll catch you in a sec. You love adventure. We love adventure. And that is why we created Adventure Journal in print. It is the gift that we've made for ourselves and for our friends and hopefully for you that is analog, that gets away from screens, that gives you some of the most interesting, deepest and thoughtful stories from some of the best writers and photographers working in the outdoor space. We do four a year. You get free shipping and a deep discount. It's 60 bucks to have this absolutely beautiful, no batteries necessary celebration of adventure in your mailbox. Get it at adventure-journal.com. 
I am drinking, it's gotten cold now because we're halfway through the show. I am drinking Long Weekend Coffee. We launched Long Weekend Coffee earlier this year to bring you and us blends that are not fussy, that will take any kind of brew method that we like, whether it's at home, in a cabin, on the tailgate of a truck, doesn't matter. We have four blends. We have dark, medium, espresso roast, and a decaf. I think they're pretty amazing. I guarantee you will like them. Check us out at longweekend.coffee. Welcome back. We are talking to Cassie Abel, who is the founder, and I don't know the various titles you have, CEO, Chief Kahuna, <laughs> El Presidente <laughs> of, of Wild Rye, which makes amazing women's technical apparel for bike and snow and hint in soon to be new categories, it sounds like. Uh, welcome back, everybody. We we're going to ask Cassie about the name and we forgot to do that. So we're going to like, that's always, where does the name come from? So where does wild rye come from? So that was another one of our mishap stories from the early days. Um, we launched under a different name and within a week of launch, we had a cease and desist order on in our inbox um, from a major brand um, it was probably the kindest cease and desist order we could have ever gotten as a small brand. So have no qualms with um, this other company. But uh, we were given about a week, not by them, but we had a week to change our name before we had to submit our trims for the next season. So Katie and I had to sit down, scour the Internet, um, scour Wikipedia for peak names and river names and flora and fauna and sort of think about what the what you know what the name should be to represent the brand um and we landed on wild rye and that's because it's a grass that grows at elevation much like we like to play um it, it's wild it's enduring it's um really sort of free-flowing and free-spirited like us so um, yeah, and it sounds good. It's it sounds a great and it name. wasn't taken. Yeah. It wasn't taken. That's amazing. <laughs> it's it's a great name. And just so you know, um, I got one of those. I didn't get the letter, but I got the call <laughs> in, the, in the early in the earlier iteration of Adventure Journal when it first started out. And um, Rivian also. I can't remember what their name was, but Rivian, the electric vehicle oh, company. I didn't they, know that. They you, they same kind of thing. They were launching, and they got the they got the you know, knock, knock, we're lawyers, you know, <laughs> and, and then they, I think that they, they made up a word. They were near Indian river, Florida, I think is where they were based. Mm -hmm. And so they, they made up a word. So it, I'll tell you, you know, I mean, we just launched long weekend coffee this year and Justin knows he was a part of like the brainstorming around the naming. And then you think you've got a couple of really good names and, and then you go on to the U.S. Patent Office, you know, the, the search site for trademarks and you go to the state and you look for the URLs and you look for the social handles. And then you start to understand why there's so many nonsense names out there for companies. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to find anything that wasn't taken and finding the right levels of how things are taken is mind blowing. Yeah, but and then you end up with. I mean, I think Wild Rye is such a. I mean, so perfectly represents what you guys are doing. It's is very yeah. evocative, but still broad enough that you can apply your own value. It's a to. it's a much better name. I mean, everything happens for a reason. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, you know, all the product mishaps it happened for a reason. We learned a lot. We know how to communicate better with factories as a result. Um, but yeah, I 100% agree. I love our name, so I feel grateful. Good. <laughs> to the powers that be out there that made us change our name. Well, let's talk about values. Um, Wild Rye, you you are uh, a B Corp. You are a member of 1% for the planet. You are certified climate carbon neutral. Those are huge commitments. And um, as I've learned over the years, boy, trying to, you, you come in with this idea of we're going to do best practices, sustainability, environmental, all across the board. We do everything that we can. And then, mm -hmm. boy, the market, you know, and, and your margins often will tell you something else. So what has been most important to you and Wild Rye and, and um, whether it's within those three certifications or, or something else, like what, where do you live your values through the brand? Yeah, to me, 
our number one most important value is serving the needs of women. Um, women in the outdoors, women, you know, fellow women in business, um, women as human beings. So I've always viewed the sustainability part of our value system as just expected. Um, it's not something we toot our horn about a lot. Um, it's sort of, it's what I believe should be baseline for every brand in the outdoor industry. Um, you know, that said on the certification side, I'm still trying to feel my way through which combination of certifications are best for us, like what we should hang our hat on. Unwaveringly, we are B Corp certified. We are socially driven. We are sustainably driven. We're people driven. You know, that is no question the brand that we want to be. Um, when it comes to climate neutral and 1% for the planet, I think they're amazing, but they're really expensive. And um, we have other priorities in addition to the environment, not replacing the, our sustainability, but in addition. And as a small brand trying to um, allocate our resources in a way that can be most impactful is something that we think about a lot. So. Uh, for example, in the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned, um, we raised about $20,000 for Planned Parenthood and um, local abortion funds and women's reproductive health care services um, that doesn't fall under 1% for the planet um, and didn't contribute to our climate neutrality. And that was a, a tough year for us to try to figure out how to stay 1% for the planet certified and give a huge chunk of money to these women's organizations. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they may not all be right for us in the long, long term. Um, for now, they're important to us and we'll do what we can to, to stick with it. But um, yeah, I mean, there are other ways to do the same thing that doesn't cost as much. Yeah, I don't, th I don't think people realize from the outside just how expensive those things are. And, mm -hmm. you know, there is a certain amount that goes to just sustaining those operations and they're doing really, really great things. We were a member of both 1% for the planet and climate neutral. And it just, you know, we, especially when we launched in print, um, you know, our, our revenue went down and our costs went up, you know, mm -hmm. or our, I should say our profit went down and our, you know, our gross went up and it's based on gross. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. I'm facing this massive bill, you know, commitment to 1%. And so there are, and I've talked to a lot of other smaller brands that like, yeah, I would love to be a part of it, but my money can only go mm -hmm. so far and I want to be able to do these things that are, they're important to me. So yeah, if you're not in the industry, you know, th these things are, these certifications, these organizations are great, but that's not yeah. the be all and all the story, right? Yeah, and we've been starting to explore some other things and have gotten creative. So we work with a website plug-on called EcoCart, which allows our customers to offset their own carbon emissions. Um, and we contribute as well, but it's not as high stakes of a, of a requirement. Um, so that's been a really great resource for us as a small business. Um, it's allowed us to offset more than our carbon footprint, given that we're also climate neutral, but it may, you know, play a bigger role in the years to come. Um, we've also launched a peer-to-peer -peer reselling platform called, uh, through an organization called Treat, um, and they've made it really easy for small businesses to participate in that um, secondhand market. Um, and so there just there are so many other things that a small brand can do um, to be gentler on the planet um, or contribute to sustainability effort, sustainability efforts that uh, don't come with big price tags or big branding. Where do you see the values in your product? Um, from a sustainability, yeah, not necessarily, so, but whatever, whatever values. I know that you've you've tried to work with Blue Sign, I think, in the past. Um, so these are in some ways externally focused, right? So, mm -hmm. but I know that you guys are you're really committed to actually to being to better serving women, in, yeah. and also environmental within the product itself. And that's something I think that you can like. It's more tangible, maybe in some ways, to a customer. Yeah. yeah. Um, inclusivity when it comes to sizing has been wildly important from day one. It wasn't always accessible for us as a smaller brand. 
Um, you know, great example of that is when we were in a position to be able to grow our SKU count um, to add sizes 14, 16, and 18 in our base layers, our factory downright refused to make those sizes. Um, you know, we already have more sizes than your average outdoor brand because we run numeric sizing because it enables us to fit women who are between a, a medium and a large. Um, I'm a perfect example of one of those people. Um, and so, yeah, we were downright refused the opportunity to make more sizes. So uh, we ultimately ended up sourcing a whole new factory, completely redeveloping the product to be able to offer. Um, so the factory yeah. just wouldn't make the, si the full size run for you? They just no. said no? Is that be that's because of a cost thing for them? Like you're the only one asking for it? Uh, yeah, I mean, we develop our patterns from the ground up, so it doesn't really, we just weren't producing the volume that they needed to get there. They said it's too much money, it's too much time. Um, we've got bigger clients that we need to worry about. I mean, we're, we're still a really small brand, and so trying to negotiate with a factory when we're not, yeah. You know, I don't even, I, I don't, I mean, obviously being small doesn't, doesn't help that, but I remember being at OR, um, a few years back and uh, talking to, um, a rep from a really big brand, I won't name them. And, and she was showing me some of their like women's pants that were coming out and my, and my wife is six foot three. Um, uh, yeah. and so she wear like, we wear like basically all the same size in, in tops, mm -hmm. but she has longer legs than me and has a huge problems trying to find pants that fit. And I put it to the to the rep, like, well, you know, what's the size limit on these pants? And, and you know, there was just no, there was, she, you know, she was saying there's like no chance of us being able to make bigger pants. Like, we just can't. Like, even if, you know, your wife is obviously an outlier in terms of being taller, but like, we're, we're, we're really big. And even with our like numbers, we have trouble like trying mm -hmm. to get uh, like, you know, inclusive sizing made for us at a cost that we can actually yeah. like swallow. So I don't even know, like yeah. I think the big brands probably suffer from that a little bit too. I, I would imagine that there are brands that would like to make more stuff in bigger yeah. sizes, but you know. Yeah, I mean, we definitely eat margins on it. It's a, it's a, it's a values commitment, I think over a profit commitment. Um, we're losing margin on those, um, <clears throat> on our outlier sizes for sure. Uh, we created a short that's specifically size 14 through size 24. Um, and I mean, the margins on those are paper thin, but we want, we believe so firmly in getting more women into the outdoors and giving them the tools and the apparel to help them feel confident when they're out there, which means fit and yeah, function. So I obviously, I realize you're, you're obviously focused on the, on the women's side, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, I have some stuff from curious creatures. I'm assuming you, you know them and like they, mm -hmm. they do something pretty cool, which is they're not really unisex necessarily, but kind they're kind of leaning in that direction. And like the shorts I have from them, I had to convert sizing because they only do numerical sizes, mm -hmm. which I actually thought was great. I mean, men's sizes are numerical sort of, I mean, in some like in, waist size. Yeah. yeah. But for the most part, I mean, I have issues with like, I'm a tall skinny guy. So I have issues with like between medium and large all the time, mm -hmm. but it was kind of, it was actually kind of cool to be like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I forget. I think I'm like a 12 maybe in like mm -hmm. women's size. Like I had to do the calculation and it was, I, it was interesting to me, and I thought as I'm doing it, I'm like, well, why isn't this the case for everything? I mean, like, I love like European shoe sizing is so easy, you know. For example, you know, and like, I don't know why clothes can't kind of also be like that, but that also got me thinking about how, like, I again, I love the patterns and the fabrics that like Curious Creatures does, even in their like women's life. It, the, you know, my wife has a pair of their shorts that I, I actually like them better than the than the men's shorts that they make. But mm. um, I, I mean, I'm not suggesting that you do this or anything like that. But do you ever has that? Does like the idea of doing sort of a unisex or or not non gender specific um, yeah. apparel ever sort of enter the equation for you guys? Um, we definitely have men that wear our shorts. They're not a perfect fit. Um, just proportions are different. And at this point in time, I think there is a really great place for non gendered apparel. No question. Um, right now. As a brand, we're certainly trying to fill that need for women specific that's been underrepresented. And, um, you know, I think I don't want that to be skipped over totally. as quickly. Yeah. I feel like issues get skipped over so quickly where you're like, oh, that's an issue. Like, we need to get more women on board seats. Like, OK, just kidding. Like, we're moving <laughs> on to the next thing. <laughs> right. And so I, I don't want to get sort of caught up in that. Um, not to say that there isn't a future for it and that we don't have... 
apparel that can be um, worn by any yeah, well, gender. Of course. Oh, that's um, kind of, that's a cool you know, thing about Justin. Women women have been forced to wear men's <laughs> well, clothes, so you yeah. can just suck it up and wear it. <laughs> I do, okay. I do. I know, I know you, I know you do, but like, just like, just. Yeah. yeah. Anything goes, man. But it's it's funny you get into the opposite problem. Not that it's a problem really, but like where I'll love a cl- a love a colorway and like I can't mm-hmm. get it in my size like a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know. Um if because it's on the it's in the like a women's line. So invariably yeah. when I go to OR and I fall in love with a pair of shoes, hiking shoes, invariably oh, always. Always. it's always women's. Yeah. Always women's. And I have such a narrow foot. I I, I should just get them. I don't know why go I try to force it. myself into. Yeah, like the women this is this is the thing, Joni. My wife and I talk about this all the time. I mean, different pressures, you know, expectations around dress for men and women. But like, you have so many more choices. What do we have? We have shirts and pants, right? <laughs> like that's that's basically what dudes have is shirts, pants. You and, can wear a hiking skirt until but, you get into technical apparel. <laughs> yeah, you I, have I so suppose. Many more yeah, I was considering a kilt for a while, and totally. then I, they're not really good options for kilts. Like they're just like I would. Technical I would try kilts. That. What's mm-hmm. that? I said technical kilts. Technical, yeah. I mean, it's utila kilts, but then you look like you're a, a Scottish plumber or something. There's yeah. a there's a DHL delivery driver in my town. Um, he he's incredible, and I, I like I actually have thought about trying to. I'm tr- I want to order something from DHL specifically so that he will deliver it to us. He's mm-hmm. the only one I ever see in town, but he wears this incredible black kilt and like mm-hmm. these giant like combat boots, and he looks like he looks like he's gonna finish his shift and then like go right to some like dive bar and play bass. For mm-hmm. some like death metal band, but it's just awesome. I always see this guy yeah. in his kilt, and I think I love. That's probably so comfortable. Love that. I bet yeah. it's great. So you um, you referenced some perhaps new categories, and I know that you're you're looking at growth. Um, we were chatting earlier. I think you you mentioned something about you're in a fundraising mode. So tell us a little bit about tell us about that and. Uh, you know, we've I've always done a bootstrap. We've never had any kind of mm-hmm. infusion in capital, and that that would just scare the bejesus out of me. So, like, how's that going, and what what's it mm. like? I mean, I've chatted with many other founders, and once you get on the fundraising hamster wheel, you're on it for forever. So, <laughs> I'm on it. Um, but yeah, we're fundraising to expand our product line right now. Um, we. I mentioned this earlier, but our goal, our mission is to be the women's outdoor brand of choice across categories of outdoor sport. So, um, you know, I don't want to directly reference other brands, but I will like look at Patagonia and um, but just focusing on the women's side of um, of those of sports for women Um, or another brand that covers a large quantity or. what am I trying to say? A number of categories of outdoor sports. So, um, yeah, we're fundraising for that growth. And, you know, I've just tapped out my my ability to self-fund. Um, producing apparel is wildly expensive. Uh, my, my house is fully leveraged. I'm lucky to own a house to be able to um, leverage a house and get a line of credit through my house. Um, but I can't personally guarantee... Um, beyond where we are right now. Does that does that involve? I mean, when you're when you're soliciting outside funds like that, I mean, is there a, a point at which you there's like a you're walking a tightrope between? Like, do you, it, does changing your values at some point start to play into uh, account here? Does does new voices mm-hmm. bring coming into your business start to play in? Like, how how does that work? So I was really conscious to become B Corp certified before starting to fundraise for the first time, because I wanted to point to that logo and be able to tell an investor that if you don't align with our values, you're not a fit. And so um, we've been really lucky that we have brought on investors that understand B Corp or are willing to understand B Corp and understand that socially, environmentally, you know, people focus is a really important part of our brand in addition to ultimately um, bringing in good profits. So um, that is something that I have I have tiptoed towards mm-hmm. when starting to think about fundraising. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there is that concern. I'd love to have a majority female cap table. Um, you know, we're definitely not... Uh, 
I'd have to think about it. We have a lot of women on our cap table, and that's rare. <laughs> it's really rare, given that the VC landscape um, and sort of the finance investing landscape is predominantly male. Um, so, are there special challenges as a women woman led owned business, and you know, and, and money is amoral and agender and you know what yeah. like, as you go looking for partners there are you looking specifically for for women you know that, that can help and are you and if you are looking at men too like how does that affect mm -hmm. how you think about the the brand does it does it change or dilute your brand in any way if you're taking money or, or can you find partners that will are fully supportive and and don't change how you think about it yeah, I mean, I think it's just values aligned people first and foremost. Um, I'd love to have as many women be a part of this journey. Um, and I think women are naturally drawn to what we're doing because we serve women. Um, you know, the men who have come on, I think, are, you know, forward thinking and and understand or have a woman in their life who's active and outdoorsy and and frustrated in the same way that I've been. Um you know, and then we have a few men in our cap table that are just really good business people and understand that women control 85% of discretionary spending. <laughs> like It's just good business to invest in brands that serve women. Um, but so, women are, are woefully, woefully underrepresented in the outdoor space, right? Yeah. I In this fundraising effort, I started digging pretty deep for some, some statistics, but... Um, my pitch, my fundraising pitch opens with some really poignant stats that include, um, you know, women are 46% of outdoor recreators, outdoor participants, but we're only at the helm of 16% of outdoor brands and 4% of cycling brands. So, you know, the ultimate decision maker at all of these outdoor and cycling brands are men. So when a product's on the chopping block or a, a program's on the chopping, chopping block and it gets brought all the way up the line, that ultimate decision maker is a man. Wow. Uh, you know, I'm, that's that's just astounding to me, those, those numbers. Not surprising that, you know, that women's stuff is going to be the first to cut out when men are making the decision. Um, on your women-led Wednesday website, um, you had some statistics that also blew me away. Um, for Standard & Poor's companies, i.e., you know, really big ones, um, women are only 25% of executive and senior level positions, 20% um, of board seats, and 6% of CEOs, which actually mirrors kind of what you're seeing there in the bike industry. Mm -hmm. and, and this is just this is just so sad. In 2015. There were more CEOs of Standard & Poor's companies named John than there were women of any name at all. Mm -hmm. That's that. I mean, it's updated since then. I think it's now like James and Mark. They're like, <laughs> yeah. there are more James and Marks than there that, are yeah. women of any name. But it, uh, yeah, I mean, that stat continues to be held true in some generic men's name where there are more CEOs named Bob than women. Um it's it's mind blowing. That's why I named my daughters. <laughs> my daughters' names are James and Mark because I read that. I read that same study. <laughs> but 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 here's They'll the thing. They'll be CEOs any day now. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm also cribbing from your notes. So, um, which are that in 2015, McKinsey and Company, which is probably a giant consulting company that mm -hmm. that nobody knows about that makes tons and tons of money, um, mm -hmm. found that um, businesses that were more gender diverse outperformed non-gender diverse businesses by about 15%. Mm -hmm. That was in eight years ago in 2015. Five years later in 2020, they found that the in percentage had increased to 25%. So g gender diversity makes, we know this intuitively, but now we also mm -hmm. know it statistically, empirically, that it's you know, businesses are better when more people of different kinds are yeah. involved. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, those stats are the reason for starting Women Led Wednesday. It was, um, you know, there was, it, it was, yeah, it was like the hot button issue. Like, how do we get more women on C-suites and on Fortune 500 boards? Um, that was, what, 2018, that it was all the buzz. And 
yet we weren't doing anything on the consumer level to support brands that were already led by women, um, you know, bringing these women-led brands up the ranks because these brands that are already led by women, they're going to bring other women up the ranks with them and give them the tools and the experience to then move into leadership roles at bigger companies and um, or grow their existing company to a more produ- you know prominent brand size. I have a I have a question from from Team Naive uh, myself. Not I mean I've I've never started a business, and I've always wondered this sort of thing when I when people are talking about growth and expansion and things like that. I mean obviously you have the stated goal of being like a sort of a tentpole like women's company, mm-hmm. but is there an avenue for Wild Rye to just kind of cruise along making like a really good women's mountain bike products and not like expanding a ton. Like, I mean, I, I always wonder where that, like where small businesses decide to sort of orient themselves. You know, can you just, like, could you be successful just as a, as a pretty small business without that sort of broader aim? Um, I'm sure we could. I have bigger dreams than that though. So I just believe that women, you know, deserve a, a brand that's exclusively for us that tells our stories, that promotes our, you know, female athletes exclusively is thinking about us first and foremost across all categories of sport. So. Amen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) look how many companies there are just for men. I mean, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, You talk a lot, not talk a lot, you reference um, in in different places talking about, especially around women led Wednesday, um, which, you know, as I understand it, you, there was no sort of dedicated shopping day around women's. There was a Black Friday, mm-hmm. there was Cyber Monday. There's nothing that you could get your brand involved with. And so you are the instigator behind this. And one of the things that you talk about is is support and the idea of, of customers and consumers supporting brands because of what they represent. And as we both found out, the marketplace capitalism is Darwinian in, in the extreme mm-hmm. and people just vote with their dollars. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. kind of curious what you see in terms of more value-based shopping and how important that is to your customers. And you know, we talk a lot about that with AJ, like, Hey, we're independent yeah. media, but I don't know that when people actually come to spend it, if that really matters to them. So does, does it matter to wild ride, wild ride customers? I think it does. Um, I think having a a voice that reflects our customer has been really important. Um, A perfect example of that was when we launched the Benefit Tea in support of Planned Parenthood in the wake of Roe v. Wade. I remember being terrified to press send on that newsletter because I didn't, I had a feeling that our customer would react favorably to it, but I didn't know for sure. And that um, initiative definitely solidified our customer values in our own mind. Um, we know very clearly that our customer does care about um, shopping a brand that stands up for the things that they believe in and stands up for their right to bodily autonomy and um, you know gives a voice to, to women. Very cool. Well, we are going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for your time, Cassie. Thank you so much, listeners. Um, Anything that we've overlooked here that we want to touch on, Cassie, Justin? I'm just excited. To, I'm I'm excited to try on some of these wild ride shorts if there's other other dudes out there doing it. Yeah, let's get you some. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just excited. Well, I, I'm I'm so jazzed. I mean, I hopefully this doesn't sound patronizing. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. No, I, I mean, it. I you know, it's like I I. I, I can't even imagine what it's like to, you know, the kind of leverage that you have to do to pay for fabric, right? To to make these kind oh. of commitments. And, you know, just a few years ago, you know, I mean, I just think about the different kind of like your relationship at Smith and how we, you know, your time there and, and that. And to go from that to this and, you know, we don't, we're nowhere near as capital intensive AJ isn't as, as what you've built with, with wild rye. And I, you know, we, we're still struggling on a daily basis to convince mm-hmm. people why they should spend, why $20 for a magazine is, is a good value. You know, I mean, it's, it's worth it. It's, it's just, <laughs> it's just hard. And so, you know, to have known you for so long and to see what you've built and know like how passionate you are about this, it's just, 
I'm really inspired by it. And I think it's, it's really cool. And I think it's amazing to see it succeed. And there are a lot of businesses that are just, they're just about the bottom line. And that's so clearly never been what you're about and what Walter I is about. And so it's, it's going to be rad to see where you go as you get this funding. And as you start to go to the next level of your vision, I'm, I can't wait for you. Thank you. It's so great to have just an amazing support system industry-wide. So I feel really fortunate to be in this industry and to be surrounded by people like you guys. And um, yeah, I mean, just feeling fully embraced by the industry. When when we launched, we weren't quite sure how the industry would receive us because we were kind of trying to turn the industry on on its head a little bit and call the industry out and push the industry as a whole to do better for women. Um, yeah. Which I think well, you're we've doing done, it. and a yeah. lot of brands have really improved in the last seven, eight years, which is exactly what we want to see. Yeah, that, that's that's awesome. And I'm also personally, I'm just encouraged to see that you now hire cat people because you know <laughs> <laughs> animal diversity also makes for companies yeah. that are better in business. So mm-hmm. <laughs> just we for have what a whiskey, that's worth. Whiskey Tango and Foxtrot. Nice. They live in Seattle, and Dusty lives in uh, Encinitas. Okay. Okay. So not far from you. Well, our, our backbone is is Amy Wong, you know, our calico. So like she she runs yeah. this place. Of course, Justin's household is still pet free, but I'm sure with two little girls, nope. it's only a matter of time. No, I will have to move to another house if that happens, but we'll see. Oh, I don't know. I, little kids and dogs. It's a small every, house. <laughs> every day I wake up praying it's not the day where the girl asks for the dogs. I am I am just violently allergic to any animal with hair. So, but oh, no. I don't know. I have a tent in the backyard. I can move out there. <laughs> Iguana? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I'll probably just end up having to wear like a rest, like a, some sort of <laughs> yeah, right. mask in my house all the time. <laughs> the boy in the bubble. Yeah. yeah all right. Seriously. Thank you, everybody. You can use the Google or the DuckDuckGo to find, find Wild Rye. You can use it for Adventure Journal. You can find us at adventure-journal.com. If you love this conversation, which I'm sure you did because Cassie Abel and Wild Rye, then you will find more amazing people and stories in our print quarterly, which you can get at subscribe to aj.com. We would appreciate the follows, the likes, the reviews, all that other sort of good stuff. And we will catch you next time.